Oh yes, this is the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. Today's show is sponsored by Ringmaster on a mission to launch B2B podcasts that create relationships, generate revenue, and drive growth. Ringmasterlive.com. Bam. Here we go. We are on. We are live. We're doing this thing. I can't wait to introduce my guest today. He's really smart. And uh, what a privilege it is uh, to learn from him today. He is an author. He is a marketer. He's a TED Talk speaker, an entrepreneur, uh, an exceptional leader. I've had a chance to work with him and his team before. Very much a forward uh, thinker, but but a serial author as well. And his book actually is just out now, and you can actually get it on Amazon. It's called High Velocity Digital Marketing. And we're going to talk about velocity today. We're going to talk about a lot of really cool things. And you want to go grab that book while it's still in the shelves, while still on Amazon shelves. Uh, but let me tell you, this guest, he's absolutely cool. He's a lot of fun to talk to. He's got a motorcycle. He's he's going on safaris, murder mysteries. He's he's writing things. He's creating things. Formerly a chief of staff and CMO at Thycotic, which had a billion and a half um, exit recently. Now currently the marketing advisor at Insight Ventures. Steve Kahan, welcome, sir. Welcome back. Casey, great to be with you. Man, I I, I mean, there's more I could have said for your intro, but you are doing a lot of things. How do you find time to have the book coming out, to be teaching marketing to, to many, many people? I just am a serial entrepreneur and a, uh, a sort of a closet workaholic. Yes. So I, I never stand still. Yes. Amen to that. And, and with that, I want to pass you this thing. It's heavy, but I know you work out and you've, you've held this hammer before. Ugh, okay, here you go. You want to grab that? All right. Yeah, take Thor's hammer for me and smash some kind of marketing myth, bogus strategy, misconception, set the record straight once and for all. Absolutely. What I've learned having worked with seven startup companies is that causing disruption is hard work. So to me, the most important ingredient to business success is realizing that there's just no substitute for hard work. Uh, there's no substitute for rolling up your sleeves and getting your hands dirty and doing that frequently. No great achievements are possible or sustained without hard work. And I'm a firm believer that hard work is the price you will pay for the success that you desire to achieve. Hell yeah. Uh, is it as simple as just, I got to roll my sleeves up and get shit done. Amen. All right, <laughs> let's go. Let's go. It, why, why, why does this even, why is this even a myth, right? Why, why are people under the impression that maybe there is an easy button in marketing? and that are a tech button or something like that they can press and avoid this labor they have to go through. I think that many people believe when it comes to marketing that they're just one silver bullet away from breakthrough success. And when I get the opportunity to work with a number of companies that I do today, I've certainly learned that there is no silver bullet. It just doesn't exist. And 
And quite frankly, what I have found is that it really comes down to the fundamentals. And if you have the core marketing fundamentals down pat, that your chance of being successful is far higher. All right. And that inevitably has us begging the question in the world where everyone has a marketing strategy, what are the marketing fundamentals? Yeah, well, I think to understand the marketing fundamentals is also to uh, understand how CEOs tend to feel about their marketing. Okay. And I read a recent McKinsey survey that the folks at McKinsey did a global study and that CEOs of businesses of all sizes expect their marketing to drive most of their growth. And yet at the same time, those CEOs are dissatisfied with the return on their marketing investments. And so many sales and marketing leaders feel overwhelmed by revenue expectations that they simply can't meet. And so obviously something is broken. And I think what's broken is that the way people buy today has totally changed. That buyers now rely on digital content to make purchase decisions. And let, let me give you a, a perfect example. Imagine if you're going out to buy a car today, cool. right? You're probably not gonna go to 10 different car dealerships to get that unique opportunity to talk with 10 different car salesmen, <laughs> right? Definitely not. You're gonna go to Google. Yeah. You're gonna check out the car that you think you might want. Yeah. Then it's gonna pop up in Google some of the competitive cars to the one that you're looking for. And you're gonna take a look at those. Yeah. You're gonna read reviews on those cars that people have, have placed. You might go to the manufacturer site if you're looking at a new car and actually go build that car. And then you might take it a step further and find out how much that car should actually cost. Yeah. So you'll know more about that car that you might purchase than the salesperson does. Mm. And, and the marketplace too, because you have looked at everything and they probably are staring at their same showroom. Absolutely. And uh, Gartner Group uh, has done a study where they say that when someone is going to buy today, particularly in the B2B space, that they only spend 17% of their buyer's journey in sales meetings with potential suppliers. And so this new level of information parity that now exists during the buying process has totally changed the way marketers need to interact with potential buyers and ultimately influence them towards their products and services. Wow. It's changed. It's changed. And, and man, what, what a wild journey. If when you know more than the sales guy or gal, uh, thing, <laughs> And you also know that to your point, there is nothing special in particular about that dealership. Uh, you can bounce if you don't like the person you, you know, Absolutely. I'll come back later. Oh, this once in a lifetime opportunity to get a car that I just Googled red Jeep Wrangler for sale. And yeah, I don't even have to go to like a, a car site. I just literally in the ads vehicle for sale, there's like a billion of, and I already can see the price ranges for how many miles to how many miles they have are in the ads and where it's located. It's all right there. 
Absolutely. And high velocity digital marketing is all about being great online. And so if you want to consistently grow revenue, you have to do it by delivering great content, realizing that that these buyers will scan very quickly in order to, to make a decision. And, and it'll be moments, literally seconds, where they'll decide whether they're going to take action or not. Right. And so the concept behind high velocity digital marketing is profoundly simple. And it's all about the quicker you convert digital content based leads into paying customers, the more successful your business. Time is money. And the single metric that reveals the most about time and money is velocity. And yet, Velocity is commonly overlooked, it's rarely managed, but it is mission critical to quickly accelerating revenue growth at reasonable cost. Now, tell me about Velocity. I love the concept. I love that you named a book after it, talking about it. I know even on Pardot, it was like one little thing over here. Oh, look, look at the Velocity. And no one really even clicked in over there. So to your point, a lot of us are missing out on it. But isn't isn't the idea of speed from lead to close one revenue, isn't that what we all just want? Maybe, you know, do we just assume that we all want speed and are we getting in our own way to get that? Well, and a lot of organizations have no idea what their velocity is, right? So yeah. in an example of the last company that I was at, I knew that a lead would convert into an opportunity or not within 15 days. And that, for example, the lead to close time ultimately became 66 days. And that precision of understanding what velocity is, what it should be, was key to planning. It was key to how we took actions from a sales and marketing perspective and really uh, was, was absolutely important as it related to help us to manage the growth that we were so fortunate to have had. It, is velocity that one metric for you where if that is healthy, if that is improving, then all the ships in the harbor are rising in the whole program? Yeah, absolutely. And, and to get sort of a sense for how you improve velocity and success, I almost could imagine sharing the story of the company that I was recently at. And this was a company that had a funny name. It was called Thycotic, a cybersecurity company. Mm -hmm. So strike one against us. I mean, Thycotic sounds a lot like psychotic. So psychotic. It, yeah. Right. So it was certainly uh, 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 di difficult for us. But when I joined on day one, we were uh, sort of an also ran we were going up against bigger, better funded competitors. I had a staff and a budget that was a fraction of the size of those competitors. Revenue had flatlined for the two quarters uh, prior to my joining, even though the, the, the market was, was, was a cool market. And we had uh, very much a low velocity model at that point. Uh, the company basically attended 52 trade shows a year. And we, we, we restored revenue growth literally within the first quarter. We hit our numbers every quarter for five years running. 
We grew three times faster than the market and ultimately grew our revenue from about 5 million when I joined in annual revenue to 145 million, which then took us to that $1.4 billion exit. And, and what was chiefly responsible for that was that high velocity sales and marketing model that we uh, implemented and put in place that enabled us to have that type of growth. I love that. Love that. And what a story, what an exit at the end of it. $1.4 billion, just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit of cheddar, a little bit of cash. Where do you start when you, you hear podcasts like this and you're like, God, I've been ignoring velocity my entire life, my whole career. You want to get started where what's step number one? Well, it starts with the fundamentals, right? Yeah. And so when I joined Thycotic on day one, I asked the founder and the management team a really simple question, which was, so tell me, who are our customers, right? And so this was a company that was 5 million, so not huge, but not small either. Right. And, uh, and so they said, Steve, wait, uh, you're supposed to be this, a uh, very talented marketing guy, you ought to know we're a cybersecurity company after all. You know that our customers are the VP of IT security and the chief information security officers. I can't even believe that you're asking that question. Mm -hmm. And so I shook my head and said, yep, got it, thank you. And then I started to go about interviewing those customers and I met with a number of them. And by the way, that's something that a lot of organizations do way too infrequently. And what I found was really my first aha moment, which was that our customers weren't those VPs of IT security or CISOs at all. They actually were the IT admins, that these were the techies in the trenches. These were the, the techies who were also responsible for security. Downtime of the systems that they administered was totally unacceptable. They wore multiple hats. They were super busy. They wanted simplicity. They would never read an analyst report if their life depended on it. They would, however, read reviews from their peers. Where they hung out online was totally different than where the VP of IT security uh, hung out online. And so imagine if I would have put our time and money into marketing online, targeting the wrong customer. Jeez. I would have wasted a, a ton of money and we would never have had a chance to have the growth that we ultimately achieved. Right. And so it starts with really understanding who your customer actually is and then going about figuring out the full context of their world so that you really understand the challenges that they uh, have and the ideal solutions that they're looking for. That's where I started and it set us on the right path. And we were able to, as I mentioned, turn around our results and accelerate revenue growth literally in the very first quarter. Jeez. I mean, how many times do, do we see people doing that, going all in and not even being aware of who is the person they're going after? 
right? And, and it sounds like, you know, even when Pete, you were asking people these simple questions, uh, I bet you the answer varied person to person at the beginning. Um, we're not always at the same page with each other. Not really, you know, left hand's not talking to the right hand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, absolutely. And and then it really comes down to asking the right questions when you're meeting with those buyers. What I found is, is that when uh, organizations are talking to their customers, a funny thing happens that they tend to ask them questions that just so happen to align really well with the solution that they offer. Imagine that. Yeah, imagine. Right. And so what what I would do is take a completely different approach. So let me give uh, your listeners an example of yeah, one of the categories of questions that I would ask. So I would ask questions, for example, around the status quo. And the status quo represents the current state of things. It's how they conduct business now. And the reason why that's so important is that you often don't lose business to a competitor. You lose business to the status quo. And how would you know that? When the potential buyer says to you, gee, what we have is good enough. Mm. Uh, thank you. We're not interested. And so by asking them questions about the status quo, you're really able to understand what they're doing today, what might be insufficient about that, and then, uh, and then go on to understand their challenges, the solutions that they're looking for, the benefits that they're looking to achieve, and then most importantly, the impact of those benefits because sometimes the impact might not be actually that big, right? And you wanna focus on big impacts. And what I did was I would then listen very carefully to what, uh, what those customers said, and I would document in a Google spreadsheet the actual words that they use. And what you wanna be able to do is to reflect those words back at those buyers because buyers are not interested in how clever your marketing department is. I know that there are some marketers that might not be happy to hear that, <laughs> but what they're interested in is working with companies that understand them, that empathize with them and speaking their language, using those words shows that you do exactly that. Yeah, I mean, I just think back to even writing subject lines for a newsletter or simple things. And are we thinking about, you know, I've done this. I've done this many times where instead of thinking about a subject line that would really show your, your exact point, the buyer, that I am thinking about them and I, I know what's bothering them at the end of the year here, I'm thinking, ooh, what's a clever subject line right or what kind of emoji can we use and it's just it's just such it's the wrong goal you know but i'm like oh what kind of subject can we can we put in here that will be so clever like what a cool holiday pun that's not what it's about yeah absolutely and then once you understand the full context of the buyer's world then that puts you on far more solid ground to create incredible content yeah that actually gets buyers to respond and you'll know that your content is incredible if you have at least a five percent 
uh, website visitor to lead conversion rate. Mm -hmm. If you uh, have that type of conversion rate from your website, odds are your content's great. And, and, and that's so important. And think about it in your own lives. I'll certainly mention it as it relates to me. Yeah, I almost never put my name, address, email, phone number in any form online, right? Because you know what's going to happen. You're going to get hounded. Yep. So that content has to be so good, so compelling. It must capture the imagination of your buyer such that they're actually willing to fill out that form. And if you could get 5% of your website visitors to do that on your uh, on a consistent basis, then you are uh, setting your company up for success for sure. Man, it, it, it's a, it's like a, it's like a formula. It's a recipe. Um, what, what are the critical parts? Cause I, I want to encourage people to go out and get the high velocity book, high velocity marketing. What are the, what are the pillars? What are the cornerstones? Right. So uh, certainly you have to understand who your ideal target buyers are. Right. You need to understand the full context of their world. You need to create incredible content and turn those into campaigns that will enable you to contribute to revenue growth. You need to be able to uh, maximize the results of your sales and your partners in to follow up in a proper way, in a way that will help uh, conversion to be where your company needs it to be. And then you've got to track the metrics like a hawk. I mean, for me, I had a sickness of getting up every morning, 365 days a year and staring at my Tableau dashboards uh, so that I was so on top of the numbers and the metrics, we would be able to move at a moment's notice. Mm -hmm. Those really are those core foundational pillars that make a high velocity marketing model go. I love that. Can we, can we do a deep dive in this content, in this content world? We've got things like chat GPT. Have you heard of that? It's out now. This it's an AI chat that can write your whole thesis if you'd like. And school's gonna be all messed up now. Kids are gonna have the the AI bots write their essays. <laughs> Tempting, you know. As soon as, as soon as you hear about it, everyone in marketing is going, hmm. You know, could the AI bot write my content too? So I spent more time thinking about content than most CMOS that I talk to do. Okay. because I knew that it was mission critical to the company's success. And so the way to think about content is in the following way, that first I would map out the buyer's journey, right? So if you think at the top of the funnel, more of like a discovery education, then going to the next phase where buyers are considering various solutions, down to the next phase where they might be evaluating one or two and then ultimately purchasing. So the first thing that I would encourage your listeners to do with that simple buyer's journey is to map out the content that they have that plays to each stage of those buyers journey. Now, 
that is so important because nothing zaps the velocity out of a high velocity marketing model than a gap in content in any of those phases. And then if you, if you understand the full context of the buyer's world, you create, uh, you would go about then utilizing that information to create your content. So let me, let me give you and your listeners some real examples. Yeah, please. So if we stay with the IT admin that my previous company uh, focused in on, when I would interview those IT admins, and we were in a space known as privileged uh, access management. That was all about the passwords that exist on an organization's infrastructure, right? Operating systems, databases, applications. Yep. And if the bad people get a hold of those passwords, now they have the keys to the kingdom. And so when I would ask those IT admins, so how many privileged passwords do you have? A hundred percent of them would say, Steve, we have like no idea, right? And so that really meant that their organization was at risk. And it's not surprising because most companies have very complex infrastructures, cloud, on-premise, et cetera. And so in our paid for product, we had a discovery function that would go out and discover those passwords. One of the first decisions that I made was to give that discovery function, package it up as a free tool and give it away, certainly for free. And what we did then was that once you did that discovery uh, function, we packaged it up where it would also be environmental specific. So Microsoft right. or Unix, for example, which meant that my marketing could be even more targeted. And then we gave a beautiful report that showed them exactly the privileged passwords they had, what their risk was, what they should do about it, right? And that free tool flew off the shelves. Another uh, piece of content that we created was a, uh, we called the privileged password risk assessment. This was really cool. Someone would come to our site they would answer about 10 minutes worth of questions. And then we would give them a grade like they were in university, A through F, right? Which helped them to understand the magnitude of risk. And for each category, they would get in this beautiful report and they'd get it immediately. People want immediate feedback. They would get this nice report that showed them how they were doing in each category and what they would need to do to improve. Now, the super cool thing about this was because I was also collecting information about the uh, geography, the size of the company and the industry, now I could do something really cool, was I would then send those same folks who downloaded that free tool the very next day an email, which would give them a report on how they compared versus their peers. Mm. Everybody wants to know how they stack up versus their peers. So what did that do? It gave them great, super valuable information and also got them into the habit of opening our emails. And then because I collected all this great proprietary information that nobody else in the world had, 
I could then publish reports like the state of privilege access management or to slice and dice the data. For example, the state of privilege access management for financial services companies in the UK. And that fed more content. It fed our social media. It, it populated a lot of the blogs that we did. It fed information for podcasts that we ultimately would put out. So all of that could be repurposed. We had so much information to be communicating. And then I took it one step further. Many organizations don't consistently train their sales or their partners on, on their new content and how to effectively use it. So we, would, we had young, pushy sales reps, right? Like a lot of organizations. But we would teach those sales reps to follow up, for example, on the privileged password risk assessment in the following way. Gee, so tell me, what grade did you get? Where did you do well? Where didn't you do well? Mm -hmm. Would you be interested in learning how we can help you to improve and reduce your risk? And that changed the dynamic of our how we were perceived and the relationship that we ultimately had with those uh, prospective customers because they viewed us as an organization that was consultative, that wanted to help them, not just sell them stuff, even though, of course, we did. Right. right? And so, so that's an example of really great content, how we put it to use, how we repurposed it, and then how we then trained our sales team and our partners, all of which was critical to then having that velocity that I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And then of course we, we micromanaged that uh, velocity and conversion rates to ensure that they were as, as good as they could be. Would you think, do you think, uh, I mean, talk to me about the quality of the content. I, I've heard a lot of conversation around, you know, if even just the title gets people to complete the form, some people are happy with it. Uh, I've certainly been tricked into completing a form thinking that, hey, I want to know about AI and marketing automation. That sounds great. And then the content was just utter rubbish. Um, what's your take on that? It how good does that content have to be in order to still act as the fundamental, you know, core in your, in your process here? Yeah. So the headlines and the content itself, they both have to be great, right? It's, this is not mutually exclusive. Like this is, you, they work together. Right. right. And, and my opinion on that is that your content itself has to be great, right? Because buyers sniff, through getting real value or getting marketing BS, like in a heartbeat, right? And so, for example, in the content that we just talked about, the reason why it flew off the shelves is because it offered real value, right? And, and a testament to great content also is its longevity. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the uh, the VC firm that ultimately purchased Dichotic for one point four billion uh, merged it with another company and renamed the company Delinea. 
most of the content that I built in the first few years of the company is still used by the company many years later. Wow. And, and lots of, uh, if you go to Delinea's homepage, right? And I just looked at this last week, maybe it's not that way now that I'm mentioning it, but they have uh, some content uh, called Pam for Dummies. It was built in conjunction with Wiley and then the next level, which was the experts guide to Pam on their homepage today, right? And so it's like, this is like more than five years later, probably six years later after that content was originally built, it is featured on their homepage, right? And they wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't converting. And so when you offer real value, uh, it has staying power, it will produce for you year in and year out. You know, sometimes, marketers think that it's old stuff well it might be old to them but but there's lots of buyers out there and and probably many of them haven't had the opportunity to interact yet with your great content so i think you've got to have both and that make that makes a lot of sense do you think ai is going to be able to fit that bill yeah i do i think ai certainly will will help with that Right, and so uh, I, I encourage organizations to use it. We used AI-based chat that would enable our organization. Uh, we typically had young uh, young reps, uh, not very tenured at all, manning our chat, right? And we wanted them to be super intelligent to go feed the qualified leads to the right reps. And right. the AI that we, used help them to respond in a way that would uh, certainly make you believe that those reps were quite tenured actually. Wow. I, I think AI could play a, a big role and will play an even bigger role in the future. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see, see that come to fruition. Um, how long have you been writing High Velocity? So, High velocity digital marketing, it took me probably about six months to write. I, I knew what I wanted to write. This was very much the blueprint for marketing that I've implemented at several companies, all of which had uh, similar growth stories to Thycotic. And there are so many uh, people that I've been blessed to be able to mentor or work with who would say to me, gee, it would be really cool if you had that written down somewhere. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and so finally, I I got off my uh, rear end and and wrote it all down in the form of a book. And actually, as as we're talking, I just had an email I saw come in. You probably heard a ding <laughs> from the publisher, which uh, that letting me know that it made uh, high velocity digital marketing uh, made the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. Oh, that's awesome, man. Congrats. Yeah, sort of a bucket list item. Wow. Right up there on the Wall Street Journalist. Man, that's impressive. Uh, and, and it goes to show, I mean, I had a chance to work with you previously and um, all good things from that engagement. Your team was on fire. It was, it was great working with you. So to have you take all these learning lessons and you shared several of them with us and we did a deep dive in content, but there are other fundamentals, right? So 
I would just then encourage people to go get that book because uh, it's it's not often you get to boil the ocean and 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 put it into a water bottle, you know. Well, yeah, yeah, and and for me, I'm a startup guy, right? And yeah. so I don't have patience for a bunch of theory, right? Uh, so what I try to do is write the kind of book that I would want to read, which is a how-to where I could read stuff and literally go implement it that same day. Mm -hmm. And so if any of your listeners are interested in a book that enables you to do that, uh, this is the one for you. That's amazing. Such a good, uh, it's a great way to start off the new year too. Like oftentimes you set yourself like a goal for the new year. Let me, let me get some books in, let me get some learning in. Uh, this would definitely, this definitely goes on the list. Um, and actually it brings up a great, you know, conversation I wanted to ask you about for your own goal saying, do you do anything special at the end of the year? We're, this is, we're recording this toward the end of the year. It's about to be the holidays, it's about to be 2023. You know, do you take a look back or anything? What kind of end of year rituals do you have? Well, first of all, I always take a look back because I'm, I'm not someone that, uh, tends to reflect on all of the good things too often because if you focus in on the challenges the obstacles the problems that's where a lot of the gains are but i like to take a look back and reflect on a lot of the successes some of the incredible relationships that were built but moreover to really thank others no one is an island in and of themselves uh, and could achieve success by themselves. It's always with and through a team. And so for me, part of my ritual is to sincerely and very much in a heartfelt way, thank all those that I've uh, been blessed to work with uh, for the great contribution that, that, that they gave. And when I do that, funny thing happens, not only do they feel uh, better, but so do I, because I said, thank you. And I see the smile on their faces and it makes me happy. Hell yeah. You know, contribution is such a powerful thing. And I'm, I'm glad that you have, you know, shifted to that part where you can um, empower. I mean, I, what are you working with now? Like many companies, right? Yes. How, uh, how many companies would you, is it 30? Is it 40? I know. It's yeah. It's, it's about 30 companies. About 30. And, yeah. uh, and honestly, it's, it's so interesting, Casey, because every one of these companies that it, it, it always comes down back to what we were talking about it, being great at the fundamentals. Yeah. And they could be big companies or little ones. And, and so their challenges, the magnitude of which and the size of which, the complexity of which will be very different. But the fundamental principles are the same. Yeah. I, I can see there's at least 30 copies of the book that should be purchased, if not many more for the individual team members, uh, at least cut down on conversation. So I imagine there's probably people that have a really good one of the two of the fundamentals is really strong, right? But there's just one of them that is just, they haven't minded, maybe they didn't know about. And so 
they've got a leaky, you know, they've got a leaky roof, right? They built their house on an almost frame. Yeah. And I mean, then there's like a bunch of simple things. For mm. example, I talk about things that you could implement tomorrow. So let me just give, give uh, your listeners. Yeah, please. So your website, put a get a quote button on the top of your homepage. I've mentioned that to a few companies and that's the highest converting form they have on their entire website. Minimize friction in your form. Think white space. When you go to Google, there's a reason why they got all that white space. Uh, and I've seen organizations when they reduce the fields, for example, from four down to two, they could have a, up to 60% increase in leads. Yeah. Uh, wow. Offer exclusive or upgraded content. You know, I mentioned in our case, we had a uh, piece of content called Pam for Dummies, and then we would pop up the expert's guide for dummies because maybe some of those uh, website visitors wanted more information, something more sophisticated. Add more validation and proof, right? Um, what you need to understand is that um, a social uh, proof is now the new word of mouth. and. I would say one last one is a lot of organizations don't cater to mobile users. Your website visitors are looking on their phone to get at your website. And like when that website gets way smaller, does it shrink appropriately? Do things stack up right? Is it yeah. how's the load times, right? And so they're losing a lot of potential customers, right? These are a few things in the case of mobile, it would be more work, but a lot of these things are simple. Uh, here's one more. If you're doing blogs, mm -hmm. you should have a call to action. In my opinion, for every single blog, don't leave it up to your blog readers to figure out what to do. Like a lot of people uh, and organizations end their blog posts by just asking their uh, blog visitors to leave a comment that's doing them wrong mm -hmm. add a good aligned call to action don't worry about it being salesy like make sure that it right. it flows with the content of that blog but but be specific these are just a, a few things that a lot of organizations could hear this and start doing like today love that these are on the book too. Every one of them, Jeez. and a lot more. Even just doing that would have such a measured effect. I mean, the idea of you, you can't feed your family with comments, right? So, <laughs> put that quote button out there. Get some kind of call to action. You know, you mentioned, hey, people are doing the research, but if they do like the Jeep they found on your Google search and they want it, get rid of or the metaphorical Jeep if you're selling B2B software, then make it easy so they can click right through and get to talk to someone. And, you know, and I think sometimes we put those roadblocks up, right? At, for the sake of nothing. And tell me about the things that slow down velocity. Tell me about the, the idiot moves I need to avoid. Well, so uh, two of which I mentioned, which I will yeah. say once more because it's, they're so important. 
a gap in content across any of the stages of the buyer's journey will zap the velocity out of a high velocity model. And, and then secondly, and it plays with this is, you need to consistently train your sales team and your partners in your content, not only so that they follow up in a consultative way or a proper way, but also if they understand if your uh, potential buyer downloaded a certain piece of content that the next logical uh, content that they should be offering is as follows, right? Describe that, make sure they understand why that's the case. Uh, and, and then um, make sure that you are properly creating content stories such that you're properly mixing and matching that content in your lead nurturing programs so that you're able to move prospects along quickly. Love that. Love that. Get rid of the, get rid of the roadblocks, grease the skids, throw a bunch of slip and slide down on the floor get those, get those folks. Like you mentioned at the very beginning from that, yeah, I mean, lead the beginning all the way to that revenue at the end. Yeah. And, you know, and you've got to be able to understand those buyers. Right. And so, like, in our case, when I understood those IT admins, I knew that they wanted to learn about simple solutions, easy to use, easy to implement, easy to install. Uh, and I knew that our product documentation was only 30 pages. Mm -hmm. And so when our big, better funded competitor started to see that our simplicity messaging was really working and we were taking share away from them, they started to copy it. And then I did some research on Google and I saw that in our case, as I mentioned, our product documentation was 30 pages. Their product documentation was over 1500 pages. Jeez. And I went out and trained our sales and partner team and compared their product documentation to the fifth largest novel ever written in human history, which they loved, right? <laughs> it gave them uh, some something cool to talk about. And safe to say that our, our big competitors simplicity oriented messaging from that day forward fell flat and we kicked their tail. Wow, man, man. So, so much wrapped into this. Uh, Steve, where can people reach out, connect with you? Where can they get in touch? Where do they get the book? All the things. Well, you could get uh, my new book, High Velocity Digital Marketing, wherever you buy books online. And you can reach me at my website, which is beastartupsuperstar.com. Startupsuperstar.com. I love that address too. That's a good one. That's, That's really the title one. of my first book. <laughs> right. Right. Um, on brand as always. Absolutely. Dude, thank you so much for coming on here, Steve. You're an absolute wizard. Uh, it's such a blessing. I'm very grateful to be able to learn, talk fundamentals with you, talk about content, talk about the future and about removing friction. This has been absolutely outstanding. Thank you so much. Thank you, Casey. All right, everyone. If you learned something, because I know I did, because I literally have two pages of notes over here, front and back, then share this with someone else. Be a thought leader to one person, nine people, 3,000 people, and then have all those 3,000 people 
go get high velocity digital marketing because it's out now and you're going to be a trendsetter because it's already on the bestseller list. So that's the place to go. Again, Steve, thank you so much again for being on here. Thank you. All right, everyone. This has been a crazy cool episode of the Hardcore Marketing Show. We will see you all next time.